I often um, want to remind people that Peter is uh, the apostle of Jesus. Well, we probably uh, knew that, and if not, uh, it's good to be reminded not only of that, but also that Peter is the one whom Jesus said, it's on you, Peter, whom I will build my church. When we remember that that is the Peter who is writing this, his first letter, to his church, we can sometimes be ultimately surprised by what he writes. And I want to point that out again in the uh, beginning of the chapter, where it says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect strangers in the world, scattered throughout, and then it lists a number of places, where Peter's congregation is. I say this often because we have in our minds a a very real understanding that Peter's church that Jesus referred to throughout the New Testament is a church that much looks like a congregation that's gathered, but it is undeniably true that Peter's church is scattered. And then we must ask ourselves a question, well, what kind of church is that? Um, do they ever get together? Well, that's not indicated. Uh, they are obviously passing this letter around. So it goes to the Smiths and the DeVosses and the Eugenes and it goes to these different families whose names I made up in case you're wondering what I'm talking about. Around what we know is modern-day Turkey. And we know that because of the historical lessons of looking up the places that are listed, that Peter listed in his first letter here. Before I go on and read, though, I would like to just ask that you would pray with me as we open God's Word. Heavenly Father, we uh, love that you still speak to us today, and as we open the words that you are speaking to us through your servant, Peter, we, we pray uh, mindfully that in, in our meekness and in our strength and anything in between that, we would be sharpened, we'd be challenged. We may be urged or pushed or or brought to a point where we have gleaned something within us that's provoked by your Holy Spirit. Through the modeling and the epiphany of Christ, your Son. In your holy name we pray. Amen. Uh, verse 22 is where we'll start here. First Peter chapter 1. Now that you have been that have purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for your brothers. Love one another deeply from the heart. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. For, and this is a quote from the Old Testament, all men are like grass and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord stands forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. Therefore, rid yourself of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. And like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation. Now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. This is the word of the Lord. 
And simply put, in a nutshell, the concept that Peter is issuing, that we see had brought forth by Jesus Christ, is the idea that we are to be the church, which in some respects in my life has been a struggle because of the concept of going to church. And I think that's why I've been uh, very much intrigued by how Peter's church that Jesus had predicted is one that's manifested, that's, that's out there as a church that's scattered. And that, as I've indicated in verse 1 of Peter's beginning of the letter, it's also one uh, that is elected. And that means that it is those who have been introduced to Jesus Christ, who know Jesus Christ, who, who have an understanding, like Peter himself, and his church that's scattered, that they are the people, who have something that is, let's call it a treasure, to give to those who do not know. I'm, um, I'm delighted that in the work that I do amongst neighborhoods that there are people that have their own epiphanies, that they say, oh, in our own neighborhood of, of 40 homes, we had gathered for prayer with the Christians. Now, not all of them cooperate, can I say that? But I do my best and try to get those who are willing to catch the vision to just dream about how the kingdom of God can come alive right in our backyards. I don't want to talk about uh, anything beyond that, but before we leave our homes, let's talk about our families, and let's talk about those who live next door to us. And, uh, and I asked some of the Christians, uh, of which a Pentecostal, a Baptist, and a Reformed, sounds like a joke, I know, but the, the three... The three responded, and so they gathered with myself. And so the four of our, us who live in these 40 homes, the four families gathered together for, for a prayer and a meal. And, uh, and they kind of cocked their heads sideways and went, Huh, so you want us to pray for our neighborhood? And I, I went, yeah. And some of them already knew it, but there was one couple who, who was quite new. And uh, the second time during this Christmas season that we gathered for prayer, this, this young couple um, actually hosted the, the dinner and we had some time of prayer. And then uh, the woman of that family says, so what's the point? What are you after? What's the goal? What's the mission? And, and I think she was thinking there was a program coming or that there was some kind of uh, motivation outside of what I answered. I said, I'm not asking you to do anything other than to look at the neighbors around you to start with and then look within you through a prayerful lifestyle to respond with the unconditional love of Jesus Christ to those neighbors. And she goes, there's nothing else to this? And I go, I, no, there is a, a response required, but I'm not going to tell you what to do. I don't, I don't know what it is you can or your timetable or how you can. But it is all about understanding the richness of this love that Peter is talking about when he says, now that you loved each other, love each other deeply. 
in the presence of those places that you are scattered throughout modern-day Turkey. And so the woman of this household is hosting this dinner and this prayer time with the Pentecostal, the Reformed guy, myself, and, and, and the four families. She says, Oh. Now, it didn't seem like much, but I believe that that oh was an epiphany because since that time, she has gone ahead and, and simply talked about how she couldn't do this and couldn't do that, but in it all, she did do a few things which I think were remarkable. She accounted for the people who lived around, a, a person who had been a, a, a widower, and he's been by himself for, for, I think, 10 years, and he's lonely. Because the first prayer meeting, I, I just asked him flat out, I'm a different cookie, I don't mind. I says, are you lonely? Because I think they all are, to some respects, having been without a wife after 50 years with one, now without. And, and he, he, he lives by himself and has for these 10 years. And, and he says, yes. And we didn't do anything. We didn't gather around and hold that. We just acknowledged the fact that there's, there's ministry to be had right there. And, and she took note of that. And then the, the couple next door to, to her was one that was filled with pain. Not that we knew this, but the fact, and, and this was not really funny, so please don't laugh, but he celebrated the fact when his wife left him. I know it sounds like a, 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 a kind of a comical situation, but the pain that must reside in that home um, just all of a sudden surfaced, and, and you could feel it. And again, we didn't react to say, oh, you know, we need to do something about it. We need to fix this problem. And No, just listen. Love each other deeply. So she was paying attention. And now that his wife has returned as of late, she has now acknowledged this. And then through these prayer meetings, simply, and I found out about it accidentally. She never announced it has them over for dinner once a week. This guy who's been widowed, for, a widower for 10 years, and the, and the couple who's, who's gone through this immense marital stress that I know very little about, but just know those few details that indicate that. And she just kind of ushers them into their home on a, on a regular Tuesday night to, to just stir up uh, some imagination and dreams of how she can be the presence of the Lord because she knows about Christ's mercy and she knows about Christ's unconditional love. And now she's simply saying, if that's all there's to it, I can do that. And this is the way in which she's brought it forth. This is who Peter is talking about. The people who bring the manifestation of Jesus Christ and on this Epiphany Sunday where people have these aha moments because they are introduced and see how Christ is at work in people's lives, they too don't necessarily fall to their knees right away and believe, but they come to the reality to understand that there is a love that is so great that it transcends any conditions, any strings attached which is unfathomable to anybody who does not know Christ. 
It's unfathomable to some of us who do know Christ because it's not the way we are treated in amongst ourselves in our very own community. Even among our marriages, dare I say, and you can come and point your finger at me after if you want, but I know that within our marriages we want to love unconditionally, but we don't. We always have poor motives. We always have strings attached. And we must stop in the name of Jesus Christ who loves us without conditions because that makes this world so beautiful. Difficult to comprehend? More difficult to extend to others. Peter knows this. And I'm assuming that you know Peter, perhaps know him quite well in his relationship with Jesus throughout the New Testament, that he is very clear on the unconditional love after he had dumped Jesus, denied Jesus, and done so much that would make any human person realize that they don't deserve. It's a question I hear from many younger generations who can't fathom the idea that Christ would love them, let alone the adults who sin accidentally, and then on top of it all, seemingly sin on purpose, and wonder if their life is in some way totally out of the will of God and totally out of this realm of unconditional love. I do not always know how to respond, but I do know that we have a difficult time comprehending that unconditional love, but Peter has grasped it because of his epiphany. In his time of being a disciple, as he'd been tutored by Jesus Christ himself, and now in charge of his own church, he goes forth and he speaks to his people, his congregation, and he says, you guys have been chosen. Only because you know like I do this unconditional love of Jesus Christ. You know the promises. You know the healing. You know the power. You know that's when it's all said and done is all that's left in this world that is worth anything. And so where you live, says Peter, love them deeply. When I say them, some people get upset. I've been accosted by, by congregational members from various denominations and many in the Christian Reformed Church who expressed to me their great dislike of how they do not like it when I say us and them. And I tell them, I only say that because the us is the ones who know about the good news of the gospel. The them is the ones who've never had it on display for them. No one's shown them. No one's taught them. Right next door, in the depth of lowliness, it was never visualized. The epiphany never happened. The manifestation never came. The Word became flesh, but it didn't in their home. I don't know the reasons, but I do know that it didn't because I see people who act in a certain way that they have never had it revealed to them the unconditional love of Jesus Christ. And the beauty of us being in the presence of people who have not is that we have a gift, if I could use Christmas language, to give to people and help them even unwrap that without expectations. Because that would deny the truth of what 
unconditional love is. Even for the people that I've worked with in, in the neighborhoods, they inevitably come to me and say in a closing statement, when do they come to church? And then I devastate their ideals by saying, if you love them to try get them to go somewhere, then perhaps you need to think about what Peter is saying to correct your vision of that. You are the church for them at this point and at that time in hopes that they see and taste that the Lord is good, as Peter said. Now that you have tasted that the Lord is good, give them a taste. Continue to strive like a, like a newborn baby, which reaffirms the new birth or the rebirth in Nicodemus' terms in John chapter 3. The, the whole idea then of craving that whole understanding of, of the glimpses that you've had of that unconditional love that you've seen never before and anywhere else in the world in hopes that you can have enough fuel in your tank to motivate yourself to continue giving unconditional love to those people who just have no skippy clue what that is about. They have no visual, no experience, nothing in their, in their resume of life that would indicate that they know about the grace the mercy. Very evident, and I wasn't going to read on and on, but if you read the whole letter of Peter, it manifests, excuse the pun, I guess, itself, where you, where you read a little later in chapter 2 about once you did not reserve, receive mercy, verse 10, but now you have. Once you were not a people belonging to God, but now you are a people of God. He issues it again and again and again, along with the contextualization of the fact that you are chosen because you have this gift and that you are scattered. And then, of course, he throws that wonderful little phrase that scares the gajibers out of everybody, and you are strangers. You're amongst people who don't know what you know, and so you become a person that feels like a stranger. Interesting how uh, this can work. Not only today, in few little examples that I, I've been able to taste and see, but also in history. You know, Bonhoeffer, Diedrich Bonhoeffer, is an amazing person, and his biography, that monster book that came out uh, last year, two years ago, that some people might have read, uh, showed a great deal of, of, of him if they didn't know already. And, and it was interesting to note that uh, the, the Bonhoeffer family that Dietrich grew up with actually didn't go to church very much. He said, we just didn't. Which begged me to ask the question, how did this faithful servant of the Lord, now a pastor in the middle of this, this Hitler era, become the person he was? And he simply quoted from Peter. Uh, I'm simply a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ, said Diedrich. One person who at one point didn't know mercy, but now I know it. Diedrich Bonhoeffer says, once I wasn't a people of God, but now I am. And my role in life is to be that presence to the people who do not know. And following the trajectory of his life right up until they took his life, that he was given the privilege to serve in that capacity, perhaps with what some people might say, very little success because he was killed in the end. 
But as we know, it turns out Dietrich Bonhoeffer had a great immense influence on many people through his life as a servant, one who knew mercy now, although didn't at one point, and acknowledged that he now is a people of God, although at one point he was not. We try to do community when really Peter is saying it's not something for us to do, but it's simply a focusing on the Word of God. And that then that Word of God would simply, if focused on, bring the life, which then needs a word to describe what's going on, that being the church. Which is what Christ had predicted through the words of saying to Peter, it's on you whom I will build my church. He reiterates that again and again through, through us as people who are God's plan A through Christ Jesus. And that God does not have a plan B. We are his people. We have the gift. And it is in these places that we know of that are listed in the beginning of this letter that are the places in which Peter's congregation lived. And so is it with us as we find our places in which we live to be the representation of the good news of the gospel. I want to share a, a little story that, uh, that brings us to today. And some of you may know this very personal one, um, that, uh, that there was those three houses that, that burned down in Henner's Landing and through neighborhood life in which I've been uh, leading for this last year, one of those couples uh, who work with us in neighborhood life owned one of those homes. And it's an interesting story because it, it just evolved. And I thought, what happens now that they're displaced? So I talk with them and, and, and try to dispense a, a, a listening, or dispense grace and have a listening attitude. Anyways, they, they are very gracious people and, and, and they love their, their neighborhood, the people that are there in Henner's Landing. And, and it's beautiful what they did. Because in July, when their house burned down, they, they were, of course, looking to do some of the practicalities in terms of insurance and what happens next. But they were bound to be committed to rebuilding, which evidently is going up again, uh, if, if you drive through there, and, and, and commit to their neighborhoods because of the people. And I'm astonished at, at their commitment and love, and, and then more so as the story continues. So it came to Halloween, and if some of you follow my blog, you've read this, but there's a, um, this, this desire for them to take a table and a coffee pot and a bunch of baked goods, which is not out of the ordinary, but place it right on their driveway on Halloween night in front of the burnt-out home that once was their house. And in the deadness of this, this accident, they bring life that brought 45 neighbors out, some with tears in their eyes, because of the visualization of what they were experiencing. It was an epiphany. It was a demonstration. They didn't have to go back. I'm kind of guessing they might not want to. But they did it. And I learned tons from little stories like that as to what could happen when we see what Peter is talking about in terms of a deep love, a commitment of staying focused on the Word, and bringing it to life right where we live. 
even though they had every reason not to. So some of you might be familiar with this story, and I was grateful for this story, but I'm always surprised how God works afterwards. Because albeit it seemed like the story had been concluded, and you could make a Hallmark movie out of it, or however you want to put it. But as I was walking through town amongst the city officials, I came across one who introduced me to a girl. And the girl actually started to talk about the neighboring concept because she knew I was involved. And this girl, for the record, um, told me to speed up the story, was not a Christian. And, uh, and now she was beginning to say, um, my sister moved from Grand Prairie into the Henner's Landing neighborhood and is a person that is um, moving because of, uh, of the lack of community and we're longing for community. And now in Henner's Landing, two years ago, met this, this uh, couple whom um, I referred to with the house burning down. And, and began to think, wow, she, she's, and he is really busy. with. All. Anyways, then their house burns, and then the Halloween thing happens, and, and, and she's telling me this whole story without even knowing that, there's, that, I, that I had any idea this was happening, and then began to talk about how her sister had been influenced. And I was waiting to see how this would lead somewhere. The story is unfinished, but I I was delighted to to tell her that this is motivated out of the fuel called unconditional love of Christ. Yeah. It's not something anybody did outside of remaining focused on some of the things that Peter is teaching. Amongst the greatest, that this is the word that had been preached to you. A message of hope. Given to you, and now you're chosen, as one to manifest it to others. It starts in our home. It spreads to our neighbors. And now we are a people that are looking to help others have a rebirth. To move from their lack of hope, from their lack of mercy, into their fullness of hope, into their fullness of mercy. Purging out the sinful desires along the way to give shape to a community that Christ has longed for. One that is not starting at 8 o'clock. One that's not beginning because someone announced its beginning, only exists because of the scriptures and its push towards having people understand the greatness and the depth of who our Lord is. We are simply focusing on on Christ's community, not as one who builds it, but one who joins in what Christ has already done. He has extended the mercy to people. But the neighbor has not accepted it because they just don't know that they are supposed to or how to or, and the questions can keep coming. The gospel is the focus. Faithfulness is the game plan. And where we live is a great context and not the only one. 
in which this needs to be lived out. Taste and see that the Lord is good. And help others have a taste. Bring the peace. Bring that forgiveness. Bring the humility. Bring the greeting. Show the hospitality. Abstain from the judgment. Look at people as just those who are creations of God, perhaps more broken than others. Celebrate the celebrations. Bring kindness. And tell the story, the one that we are so familiar with, that's laced through the scriptures at our catechism of the fall and the redemption, beginning with the creation, fall, redemption, which is a story that's evident in every one of our lives, in every day. It's evident in every one of the 40 homes that live around me, every day. Every day, whether they believe the Lord Jesus Christ or not, their story is being lived out in their homes with the creation, fall, redemption theme. And I get the privilege to struggle with fear and trembling to point that out and tell the story in order that they may be corrected, that they may be comforted, that they may be encouraged, and that they, as Peter had indicated, and I've said a few times already this morning, taste and see that the Lord is good. Amen. Let's uh, respond by standing and singing the church's one foundation.
Shall we come to our God and congregational prayer? Our Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning as your people. Your word is our treasure, and we're always encouraged by the hope that it promises. As we start this new year, help us to see something new every day, to acknowledge your creation every day, the wonder of every moment. We sang, Come Thou Almighty King, a song of prayer. We are thankful that we can pray that too now. Come, Thou Almighty King. We have a lot to be thankful for, and as we celebrate Christmas, we thank you for families, and above all, that we can be called your children. But we are still on this earth, full of despair and troubles. Airplanes fall from the sky, cruise ships catch on fire, and trains derail. There are shootings of innocent people and children all over the world. Floods and hurricanes destroy homes. We pray for peace and healing and your comfort to those who mourn. There are many being persecuted for being Christians. Give them strength and perseverance. And we pray for the persecutors that their hearts may be changed, that we may love our enemies. We pray for all those working and serving in your kingdom, all those on staff on World Renew, and those in places of serving in secret and putting their lives in danger. We also pray for the youth mission teams that are getting ready to go out. Guide them, grant them strength. We also pray for those in leadership in government roles. Give them wisdom and the ability to rule, for you put them in these positions. There are many new leaders who need their hearts changed, and we plead for your intervention. In this world, there are still many elderly people who struggle every day, both physical and emotional. We ask you to be near them, that we may support them, that we may be neighbors to them, that we may also include them in our daily prayers and visits. During this new year, we will all celebrate birthdays. Grant that the celebrations may be plentiful and that family gatherings joyful as milestones are reached. We also pray that we can celebrate the Lord's Supper next Sunday with great expectation and remembrance. We also ask a blessing on the offering for Albert and Carolyn Stridehorst as they work in the Trinity Leadership Course. We know that you hear our prayers and we pray that your will will be done in your son's name. Amen. The offering will now be for general fund and to support. <clears throat> 